The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Because this morning what I want to talk about is impermanence. <laughs> um, as it turns out, for the last three weeks, I've substituted for Andrea on Tuesday mornings, and I've done a series on impermanence. And I thought, okay, I've said everything I need to say about impermanence, and it just would not go away, despite being impermanent. So you're stuck in the middle with me. <clears throat> We're going to talk about impermanence. <laughs> so um, when we think of impermanence, we usually think of endings. What arises passes away, and we kind of get stuck on the ending part of it. You know, it's gone now. It's kind of parallel to our tendency to think about our failings. You know, there's, there, there's some similarity there about sticking on, grabbing on to that stuff that, oh, that's over. That's, you know, there's, there's some badness feeling to that. I don't want to uh, oversimplify this, but when we think about impermanence, we, we very rarely think about beginnings. You know, the moment arises and passes away. So when I did this series, I talked a lot about both of those things. And um, it occurred to me that we're, we're constantly, when something arises and passes away, it's like we're, we're looking in the rearview mirror. This, this happened, it's back there, and I want to know uh, what, what just passed, what does it mean, was I good? Was I bad? Who saw me? Can I have it again? You know, there's this feeling of looking in the rearview mirror about something that has arisen and passed away. Am I safe from that? This is somewhat balanced by an additional tendency to extend all of those observations into the future. Oh, it's always going to be like that. I'm like that. This was true in the past, it's going to be true in the future. We seem to think or fear that it won't go away, even though what we've just noticed is something arising and passing away. This is all a kind of subtle denial of impermanence. You know, we all know impermanence, but we live as if it did not exist as a process. You know, the Pali word for Impermanence is anisha, and it means not reliable, not predictable, not permanent, not constant. But we tend to want things to be stable because we feel safer. We know what to expect. But actually, we can't expect anything. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, and, and who... Who doesn't want constancy? Well, you might say the adventurer. The adventurer doesn't want constancy. You want to go out and experience whatever is out there. <clears throat> Expecting excitement, but certainly not boredom. And recklessness can certainly lead, uh, have a tendency to manifest itself in excitement, adrenaline rush but it doesn't predict the disappointment of a dud. <laughs> we actually don't know what's going to happen. So what arises passes away, and we think of loss. 
And and perhaps some of my own recent losses is what got me stuck on impermanence. So that's true. That's what it is. And what we do is we tend, we then we notice in in the present grief or uh, uncertainty or ambiguity. And we look back over the past and we kind of pick out the pleasant things and ignore the unpleasant things in our grief. And the grief is actually happening now. It's happening in this moment. It may be about something in the past, but it doesn't exist in the past. It exists now. And when we're looking back and we see things that we're glad they're gone, what we're experiencing now is relief, resentment, uh, uncertainty yet again. But it's all happening here, now. And the thing I want to talk about in terms of impermanence today is in that arising and passing away, there's something that's happening. There's actually something that's arising and passing away. There's an event. There's a thought. There's a feeling. And it's now, always, in impermanence, it's now. It's not before, and it's not next. Whether we see our experiences, when we say arising and passing away, whether, we, you know, I keep drawing this curve in the air, you know, it, as if there was a Gaussian curve to every event, right? You know, it arises, it peaks, and it passes away. You can also see it as a dot. This is happening simultaneously, initially, finally, here. However we see it, The truth is we don't like to see it. It's a little too unstable for us. We can think about impermanence, but actually living in impermanence is a lot more difficult. We want control. Control makes us feel safe, happy. So I have new shoes, and I'm going to avoid the puddles so that my new shoes stay nice. And I'm focusing on the puddles. And so as long as I don't see a puddle, I'm okay, and I slip and turn my ankle. Not about the shoes, not about the puddles, but it's what happens. While I'm planning for the future, this is what happens. There is an arising and a passing away right here. We actually cannot depend on the outcome. So why do we say, if I do this, this is what will happen? Really? So what got me thinking about the nowness was a poem I actually read at the end of my last talk, and it inspired me. So I'm going to read it to you again. It is uh, Snow Geese by Mary Oliver, and it's from Why I Wake Early. Oh, to love what is lovely and will not last. What a task to ask of anything or anyone, yet it is ours and not by the century or the year, but by the hours. One fall day I heard above me and above the sting of the wind a sound I did not know, and my look shot upward. It was a flock of snow geese winging it, faster than the ones we usually see, and being the color of snow, catching the sun. So they were in part at least golden. I held my breath as we do sometimes when something wonderful has touched us as with a match which is lit and bright 
but does not hurt in the common way, but delightfully, as if delight were the most serious thing you ever felt. The geese flew on. I have never seen them again. Maybe I will someday, somewhere. Maybe I won't. It doesn't matter. What matters is that when I saw them, I saw them as through the veil, secretly, joyfully, clearly. It doesn't matter. What matters is that when I saw them, I saw them as through the veil, secretly, joyfully, clearly. I find this extremely optimistic. It is meeting the moment, this moment, with surprise, the possibility of surprise, without knowing what this moment is going to be, without carrying the conditions from the past into this moment. But this moment is fresh and clean and clear, and only now, 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 only now. If all things are ephemeral and fleeting, I want to experience each moment as fully as I possibly can. Why do I want to miss life, this moment? Why do I want to miss that? By not paying attention to it. Now, if you ever think this, it'll give you a headache, so don't do that. Held lightly, held lightly, it's a wonder. Each moment is a new moment. It's arising now, and it's gone, and this is another moment. So uh, A.R. Ammons is a poet I've recently discovered, and one of the things he said is, anything looked at closely becomes wonderful. That's interesting. Anything looked at closely becomes wonderful. So we have all these categories that we put things in. This is good, this is bad, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant. What if, just by looking at it closely, we are free of all of those assumptions about what's actually happening? Now, I suppose that what he meant, he was a, a, a naturalist as well as a poet, and he wrote a lot of poems about the natural world, and he did look at things very closely, and he looked at all of the natural world quite intimately, and, I, and, and clearly, you know, he would see what was there. So one might look at a rhinoceros beetle and say, oh, that's a rhinoceros beetle, and I don't spend a lot of time looking at insects, but my husband does. What I see when I look at a rhinoceros beetle is how iridescent it is, spectacularly iridescent. Wow! being able to see that thing about it, each time you see it, is delightful. It's delighting in the moment. So, so one of the things my husband does is, in fact, record nature sounds. So this is going to be a slightly uh, involved analogy here, having to do with sound. Sound is it, what is sound? What is sound? Sound is extremely impermanent because it's not a thing, actually, it's also a process. You know, if I, I take my, this, my hand and I have this uh, ringer in it, I don't know why I would call it a ringer, 
and I move, I move my hand with force and it hits the bell, setting up a vibration in the bell, in the metal, which then sets up a, trans, a transfer of vibration into the air, which comes to you and interacts with your ear. And what you hear is dependent on your ear, not on the movement of my hand, which was what started it, which began over here in my elbow. There is a vibration that has gone through that we call sound. When I moved my elbow, you didn't hear it. When I struck the bell, the sound traveled rapidly to your receiver. Now, but it was gone. That sound came and went, just as the movement of my arms came and went. So what my husband does is record sound. So now he's, got, he's captured the sound, right? We've captured the sound. The quality of that sound is dependent on how good his recording device is. He has some device, so just as my words are, are vibrating the air, the air is vibrating some receiver and magically it gets digitized in the computer. I don't pretend to know how that works, but there is a receiver that then digitizes it into bits and bytes. And now there is something stored in the computer memory. And it can be played back. And that playback depends on how good the receiver is and how, good the re how, how it reproduces the sound. Now, it turns out that the reason my husband records these sounds is he's studying. Uh, he wants to show that you can identify individual spotted owls by their voice signature. Now, not spotted owl generic, but spotted owl Tom. Okay? And he's pretty much shown this. And what he did was record all these owls. And he's used a variety of recording equipment, and he can tell me what the differences are between them. But what he looks at is only a piece of what he's recorded, just this four-note call. And he filters out everything else in the computer. All the other distractions are removed, and he's only looking at this one thing. And it turns out he doesn't have to hear it because he's converted it into a sonogram where the, the computer makes a picture of how the sound frequency changes over time, and he can measure those frequencies. It's all digital. Now, now it doesn't have anything to do with what we typically call sound. The experience of hearing is dependent on all the conditions around that air that sound is moving through. It depends on whether we're actually focusing on listening or not. It depends on whether we can hear well or we have an assistant device. We go to a concert and they're, they're playing and pretty soon, you know, if you were my husband, you might be analyzing the music, I don't know, but my mind might drift to thinking about something and all of a sudden there's a crescendo and I say, oh, what happened? What did I miss? Where am I? What happened? Can I play that back? Well, in a concert, no, you don't get to play it back, but 
there's instant replay, right? And when you see a sports show, you, you can play it back and it'll say, oh, look at that trick play they did. I wasn't looking for that, so now I can see it because I get to, it's been recorded and I can play it back. Well, the thing is, we don't get to have reruns of life. The moment that arises, in that moment, is the only moment we can see it, the only moment we can hear it, the only moment we can experience it, the only moment that we can see that thought, that we can experience that thought, just in that moment. Are we paying attention to that moment? Do we have our ears out for that moment? Are we drifting somewhere else and missing this moment? What we notice is conditioned by what we bring to that moment. So, yesterday... I was uh, aware of a mind state that was uh, very unsettled. It was vague, very vague, and a little uh, had a lack of definition. Right? So there was this uncomfortable feeling, uncomfortable, vague feeling of not rightness. And, and I, I didn't know what it was. And I watched my mind attempt to tell me what it was. Okay? So it could be sadness. It could be something else. It could be disappointment. It could be confusion. You know, there's this empty quality about it. So maybe I'm missing something. So I watched my mind try all of these things when it suddenly occurred to me that it was just what it was unknowable. And it was the unknowableness that I was uncomfortable with. It was the discomfort. I could have, for example, called it sadness, and then I would know what to do with sadness. Sadness is this. I'm used to sadness. I know how to deal with it. I can attribute meaning to it. But actually, it was the unknowable that was uncomfortable. And my attempt to name it something was me trying to fix it, which is a tendency of the mind that I walk around with, to fix it. And fix has two meanings here. One of those is modify or repair. The other is hold in place. So if I give it a name like sadness... I can hold it in place. I can say, okay, sadness, that's what's happening here. Which is a lot more comfortable than unknowing for me. Once I was able to just stay with unknowing, this is unknowing, it was still uncomfortable. It didn't become more comfortable as a consequence of that. But it did change. And what happened was... I became, it became more possible. It was not so intense. And it became more possible to be with not having an answer. Oh, I don't have an answer. That's really interesting. Then I got to watch 
What did my mind want to do with I don't have an answer? And there was fear, etc., etc., etc. You don't have to have an answer. Wow. Right, I don't have to have an answer. But by naming it, I could corner it, you know, make it more controllable, know how to react to it. If we're able to watch the arising and passing away of thoughts without grabbing onto them, like we're clutching to something, you know, we're on a raft in the ocean, and letting go is the one thing we don't want to do. <laughs> but if we can see these thoughts coming up, and they're just thoughts, oh, fear, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not, and just say, okay, I see you, I see you, this moment of this. And not be hooked by it, not be grabbed by the stickiness of the idea. Not be grabbed by the stickiness of having a solution. We become disenchanted. I'm no longer enchanted by this idea. I'm no longer strung into it. I am disenchanted. I become dispassionate. It falls away. I don't have to let go of it. It just goes. I don't have to tell myself to be a certain way if I'm just seeing it as it is. I am free of all of those lessons and imperatives and this is how it should be. It just goes away. All things arise out of the conditions in this moment. This moment, not yesterday. The conditions today are different. If I'm walking and it's my intention to move forward, I'm moving forward, I lift my foot, I move it, I place it. This is me walking. And when I stop having the intention of moving forward, the walking stops. If the intention stops, the act stops. If the intention stops, the act stops. So think about that. When we're angry, if the intention toward ill will stops, we can't sustain anger. If we recall the intention toward kindness, we can't hold the intention of kindness along with the intention of ill will. We don't have to push away ill will We don't have to let go of ill will. It stops because our intention has stopped. Our intention is something else. There is possibility in this moment if we don't try to tell ourselves we know what's coming in the next moment. We actually don't know. But this moment is composed of all the things we bring to this moment. So... Perhaps in the midst of anger is not the time to adopt a new intention toward kindness. That might be a little tough. But if you are carrying around an intention toward kindness, if you're developing a habit of kindness, then it will be part of the conditions that arise with the anger.
So, the, so if we remember the cause that caused the anger, we'll re-energize the anger. <laughs> yes, they did that. Now, it's, now that energy is back. So what are you aware of in this moment? Where are you placing your attention in this moment? What are you hearing in this moment? Because that's what determines what you're going to see, what you're going to recall. So, so the, uh, the sati word that has been translated as mindfulness by some English translator in the 18th century or 19th century, Translated sati is mindfulness, but it actually means to recall or remember. So recalling, recalling yourself to this moment, remembering to be here. Are you aware of this moment or judging what just came before or anticipating what's coming after this? Are you here for this moment? In this moment, there is no judgment. No clinging to an ideal. There's only this. The more mindful we are of an object, the clearer it becomes. You know, it's, it's, it's like looking at something. If I look at this, I can see, okay, there are words here, it's shaped like this. And then I notice there's a, a picture, and I, th- I think clouds and, and golden, and now I'm back to that golden moment. Where am I putting my attention? That determines where I am with it. So so consider that judgment arises. Okay, now judgment is here. I see judgment. I'm comparing it. I wanted to be this way. I was that way yesterday. It's like yesterday. I see the comparison. Right now, it's not about yesterday. It's about the comparison Can you see I'm comparing and not react, not grab it? Oh, this is comparison. Instead of attaching it to some kind of historical ledger, ah, that's just like what happened. This is me. Oh, I'm always this way. Why can't I get rid of? What's happening now? Okay, there's agitation around judgment. Can I actually look at judgment as opposed to becoming a judger? Can I look at, can I examine the experience of judging? What does that feel like? That keeps me in this moment, and it prevents me from actually going into the past and and losing track of what's going on now, what's actually happening now. Can I see it as not permanent and not me Choose whatever horrible thing you think characterizes you and know that it isn't happening right now. Right now. When we truly embrace impermanence, we see the importance of intention, reflection, mindfulness how they condition this moment. We become aware of the process and not so much entrained by the content. 
We see the process of things coming up. We notice, oh, look, there's that, there's that mind habit. That mind habit, oh, I've seen that one before, that fixing mind habit. Yep, fixing. I can see the fixing. I can feel the energy of that. I don't have to do it. There's a moment of choice that arises when you see each moment as only itself arising and passing away. We become aware of the process and we practice with an openness that doesn't have us carrying the burden of the past. You get to be anything right now. You can't actually be anything. You've brought a whole bunch of things with you. I've brought things with me into this room. But I know that each moment, what I notice, what I experience, is arising and passing away, and it's just here. We give up the notion of being sure. Being sure we know ourselves, being sure we know the person in front of us, being sure we know what's going to happen in the next minute. Not sure, not sure. Not sure. How can you be sure if you don't know the outcome? If it's impermanent, if it doesn't... And you, you notice, oh, what I thought was going to happen isn't what's happening. What I prepared for isn't what I need to react to. I'm peaceful. Now, this is the way to meditate. I'm really peaceful. I know how to do it now. And then the next moment when the restless mind shows up, wait, I know how to do this. There shouldn't be restlessness here. But restlessness is here. So can you react to the restlessness or can you examine the restlessness? How does it feel to be restless? What's that energy like? Ooh, feel that tingly, that got to jump up feeling. Ooh, feel the energy. What's, what's happening with that energy? It doesn't have to have meaning. It doesn't have to have meaning that you carry into the future. It doesn't have to relate to that historical ledger. Just as we follow the breath. The breath isn't a thing either. The breath is a process. It's air moving. We follow it somewhere. We notice it somewhere. It's that moment of noticing it that defines what the breath is, that shows us what the breath is. We can't grab it. It comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. It's air moving. You know, even, even if you grabbed, you put something up and collected the breath as it comes out of your body, now you have it in a balloon, and what you have is air in a balloon. You don't have breath. It comes and it goes. Each moment is a new one. When we can experience just this, just this, we can experience this is enough. This is enough. It doesn't have to be other than it is. Whatever this experience is, pleasant or unpleasant, is enough. No holding, no rejecting, 
Nothing else is needed in this moment. We're no longer tied to wishing things were otherwise. Not in this moment. It says nothing about planning for our daily needs, about our families, about our careers. It's just this moment. Those are all here too. With dedication to an ethical life, with the wisdom of discernment, this is now, this is not then, this is not then, this is now, and mindfulness with a kind heart, we can create conditions for each moment. This is enough. We don't have to be a certain way. Then what happens, happens. And we are enough. And then there's the next moment. In play here are resilience and equanimity. This is how things are. This is how things are. May I meet the arising and passing away of all things with equanimity and balance. May you meet the arising and passing away of all things with equanimity and balance. This is enough. So I have a poem for you, which appropriately is called Enough. It's by David White. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here, this opening to the life we have refused again and again until now, until now. Enough. These few words are enough. If not these words, this breath. If not this breath, this sitting here, this opening to the life we have refused again and again until now, until now. Thank you.